Hello, and welcome to the Modern Maker Podcast. I'm Chris Salamone from Four Eyes Furniture, and not with me today, Mike Montgomery from Modern Builds, but with me, as mostly always, Ben Ueda from Homemade Modern. How's it going? Pretty good. How you doing? Pretty good. Looking forward to the two-man having a show. good conversation without the, the, the guy that always uh, jumps in on other people's conversations. No mic today. Yeah, this is a... Have we, have we done one with just the two of us? I can't even remember, but... No, but it's good because... Uh, me and Mike did some weekend shows. So Yeah, finally I get to get in on the action here. Exactly. But this will not be one of the uh the the type that you did where you guys interviewed each other. This will be just no. kind of a normal show with a topic and might end up being a little shorter than normal just cuz we don't have Mike to to fill in the dead air, but we'll see what we can do. I think we can handle it. I think we'll handle it. So, what are you working on lately? Um, well, I was really just wondering what day it was. Oh, yeah, we skipped that, didn't we? Today is Thursday, September 28th, otherwise known as Ask a Stupid Question Day. Hmm. How, do you, how, how are you on the, are there such things as stupid questions? I think there are. I mean, I think that people shouldn't be embarrassed to ask questions, but maybe think about it a little bit. But yeah, yeah. I know uh, you've had some experience with stupid questions, right? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I think it might be harsh to say there's stupid questions. Maybe there's they're defi- lazy questions. Exactly. There's definitely lazy questions where there's like, an obvious bit of research they could and Uh i guess they're more lazy and can be rude questions if you don't take the time to research something so that you inconvenience somebody else so that they can tell you instead of just looking for it yourself um so maybe not stupid but definitely lazy and possibly rude what ben's trying to say is read the descriptions people yes before (laughs) you it's all in (laughs) right before you ask the question in the comments make sure it hasn't already been answered right in front of you that said, here's a smart question. What are you working on? Um, let's see. Uh, a few things. Um, my solar-powered shed video uh, mm-hmm. will be going live today, which is very exciting. It's my longest nice. video to date. I think it's, How long did it come out? Yeah, uh, Right around 13 minutes. Okay. Um, Four eyes territory. Exactly. <laughs> and, man... I don't know how you do that. That's a lot of voiceover. <laughs> a lot of a lot of uh, fluff. Do you do, do you do all the voiceover for them like all in one sitting, or do you just get yeah. a little restless? No, yeah, I just sit there and do. I just I, I actually like turned, or I like, I wouldn't say I turned it, but I every time that I do a voiceover, I kind of make a makeshift recording booth in the uh, closet. So I basically mm. just like clear off a shelf, put the laptop in there, set up my microphone, close the doors behind me. My wife has like all her jackets and stuff hanging on there. So there's like lots of sound deadening. So yeah, I've, there've been times where like, I've been in there for like 40 minutes just doing voiceover. Yeah. I, I think it's voiceover is probably my, my current least favorite, least favorite part. <laughs> I can see that. Um, it always sort of shifts, but uh, yeah, no. So I've been working on that. That should be out today. Uh, so check it out. And I've also been doing uh, some experiments with kinetic sand uh, oh yeah so, i've been seeing those on your instagram right so kinetic sand people might be familiar from from those sort of like trashy kind of instagram videos where people go oh it's so satisfying to like watch this stuff get clumped together then sliced and things like that yep. it's kind of in that kind of like slime mold fidget spinner kind of obsession territory right. that the that the internet seems to uh constantly discover <laughs> uh new things for but in my work with uh, Toys R Us, I picked up a bunch of it and was sort of playing with it and was surprised at how well it could hold a shape, particularly an impression. If you take something that has detail and press it into it, uh, it takes the detail really well. Mm-hmm. And so I've been experimenting to see what I could cast into the, the kinetic sand using it as a mold. And so far, I've experimented with tin. I mm-hmm. melted down some tin and poured molten metal into it. Now, was that that low melt stuff that you had used before? Yeah, okay. tin and, and bismuths, I think is the, the way you pronounce it. Like, what temperature is it? Is it still hot enough that it would burn you if you touched it? Yeah, like 300 degrees. Okay, yeah, okay. So but it's like, still very you know, hot. It's like oven mitt kind of territory. Right, it's not glowing and going to make a hole through your countertop. Right, like, if you, spilled it on, like if you spilled it on wood, the wood wouldn't start instantly right. igniting. It would, it would leave burn Just marks. Char a little bit. Um, and then I also used it for casting concrete. And in both cases, it came out fantastic and the sand was reusable. Oh, wow. So I, I was surprised, right? Like, because, you know, I, I used uh, a lot of silicone products for making molds, but it's kind of expensive. 
Mm-hmm. And here's something where you could really quickly, it'd be hard to make a completely 3D mold with a lot of like, you know, overhangs and stuff like that. Right. Um, but for anything that's like a surface sort of uh, texture or relief molding, it worked really, really well. So yeah, I've been, been experimenting with that. And now the sort of wheels are turning and figuring out how to take those experiments and translate those into a project. Nice. So a little, little R&D. Research and Devel. What about yourself? So I, let's see, okay. My plan was this past weekend, I was going to build the media console for, for Dwell. So I went and bought all my plywood, was ready to get cracking on it. But then I think I've talked about it on here before, but I've been, um, so the, the Instagram picture wall that I've been wanting to mm. do, um, I had been talking with HP about them possibly sponsoring it. And it was just kind of taking a while. So I was like, all right, well, that's just kind of on the back burner. Then I get an email from them Friday night saying like, hey, it's ready to go. Can you have the video to us by next Friday? So I was like, well, I guess that's what I'm doing this weekend. So oh, wow. pretty much spent the whole weekend. I mean, luckily it was a very, it was a pretty quick build. There wasn't a whole lot that goes into it, but the video itself is what takes a lot of time. Like there were a lot of shots that I needed and a lot of editing. So that's pretty much what I worked on this past weekend. Now I'm hoping that one day this week I can actually work on the media console, either one day this week or next weekend. I've got all the material to do that. And I'm actually going to take the Instagram picture wall down pretty much right away because I'm going to build the higher quality version of it that's going to be for Dwell. Or I wouldn't say higher quality, but it's just like a more sophisticated looking version Mm. of it. So that's what I'm actually going to leave up there full time because I think it's going to just be a nicer piece to have in the house. So yeah, those are the next two things that I'm going to be working on. Other than that, I had planned to uh, get a little bit further in the CNC, but I ran into a little snag. So turned out to be something really dumb and Inventables was super helpful in helping me take care of it. And also the Instagram community, I put a couple stories up and people like jumped on and were giving me all sorts of advice. One guy in particular, Chris Crawford, he actually like got on a FaceTime chat with me and he he has a X-Carve. So he was walking me through some stuff, but it turned out, it was funny. It was the thing that everybody said it was, but it didn't seem like it was. There's the e-stop button, which mm. is like an emergency stop button. It was stuck? It was stuck, yeah. And so people That's were like, oh, twist before. it. Twist yeah. it and pop it up. So I'm like twisting it and pulling on it and nothing. So I ended up taking the whole thing apart and it was just like wedged down for whatever reason. And yeah. so I just pried it up and now it's to where I can twist it and pull it back up. But that's all it was. It was just that. But like, you know, it delayed me for a couple hours, but thankfully now at least I'm back to uh, where I was. So when I get some time, I can put the finishing touches on that bad boy. Yeah, it's, it's interesting with CNC machines. I mean, when when everything's working the way it's supposed to, they they they're like a superpower um yeah. but they're also for somebody that's not super mechanically inclined or that doesn't have a ton of experience with them the minute something isn't quite the way it's supposed to be you feel completely helpless right so it's like it's 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 it can be it's a, it's sort of a double-edged sword that way where you know that's why i always laugh whenever i see those comments of people saying yeah. oh well get a cnc that makes it so easy i'm like oh actually like it's CNC hard. projects sometimes are like a lot, a lot of work and a lot of like, you know, staring at the mystery box and wondering why it isn't doing exactly what you want it to do. Right. Uh, eventually, at some point, it gets to where you just push the button, like they say. But to get to that point, there's a lot of work involved. I will say, though, I am actually glad and I see the um, the value in putting together the kits, kind of like the way that, you know, the Shapeoko and the X-Carve are, because when you do run into those snags, you're very familiar with the machine and, and you have a lot better of a chance of being able to work your way through it. Yes. If if you're not like a disorganized, all over the place person with a bad memory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'm sure. Uh, I right now, I'm very uh, intimate with it, but I'm sure in three months, I'll be like, well, what's an X-Carve? Yeah, it, it's... Uh, yeah, it, it, it's interesting. Like the if, if you're methodical and logical and can read instructions and or can you know get on a, a con, you know a consumer sort of helpline, they mm-hmm. are very easy to troubleshoot. If you struggle with those things, then yeah, they can be a little frustrating. Yeah, they do make it easy though. Like I I just tagged them in an Instagram story, and within a couple minutes, they had already responded to me. Yeah, and they're super we we're working fast. together, so yeah, they have great customer service. Shout out to Inventables. Shout out. So uh, before we hop into the topic, I do want to give just one update real quick because um, 
it's on WorkbenchCon. I've had a few people write to me about the code modern. So it turns out it is not a discount code. There are no discount codes. All it does is it reserves a seat for you in our talks. So the idea right now is that that one code will reserve a spot for you in Ben's talk, as well as the talk that Mike and I are going to be doing together. Um, if that changes, we'll update you here, but um, that's the way it's working right now. Yeah. And just to be clear, there's no discount codes anywhere on that. Right. So there's not a better deal out there if you're waiting for it. Yes. This is as good as it gets, but uh, we've had still a, ton a very of people, good deal. We've had a ton of people uh, sign up and, uh, been getting a bunch of messages on Instagram about people uh, confirming that they're going. So yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. So there's still so if you want to get in on the action, uh, head over to our Instagram page, the Modern Maker mm-hmm. Podcast Instagram account, and click on the link in the bio and figure it out from there. Yep, use the code Modern. Modern. All right, should we hop into the topic? Yes. So. What I was thinking today is I get a lot of comments often when I'll post stuff where people will say things like, oh, how did you come up with that? Uh, you were so so creative or or they'll do that kind of like that awkward thing where they're sort of complimenting you by sort of telling you how they're different than you. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll be like, oh, I could never do that. I'm not creative. And, you know, I, it's hard. You know, we, we only know things from our own perspective. Right. Um, but I thought that the interesting topic or sort of question for for today would be whether or not you think creativity can be learned. I think it's actually a good good conversation uh, for me and you to have because from my perspective, I would just look at it as I don't look at some people as more creative or less creative. I would just look at people having having it focused in a million directions versus one direction. Mm -hmm. Whereas I I feel like a lot because... uh, I'll get labeled that way strictly because I'm incorporating so many random materials and things. Whereas I think, uh, you know, people will often say that you're sort of, uh, oh, Chris is really, or he, he's really, he, he's a really good craftsman or he's very disciplined or his work is very sophisticated, right? Right. And I, I was just curious on how you think about those th- two things. Do you think them as sort of separate categories? Do you think of them as just different, uh, just different words for for things that are similar or yeah what was your sort of general take on that so i will say that i think that no i don't want to say that there are creative people and there are uncreative people i'll say that everybody has a different aptitude for how creative they can be so i guess the question is is more can you become more creative so it's not can you become the most creative person in the world like you know it's not not everybody can become LeBron James. Like he has right. an aptitude for playing basketball that other people don't have. And he has a physical skill set that other people don't have, but everybody can become a better version of a basketball, a better version of themselves as a basketball player. So everybody can become more creative through practice and through, I guess, just for lack of a better term effort, really. But I do think in terms of creativity, I would say that you probably have the more outwardly creative or how was a good way to say this i guess from a from an outside look an outsider looking in i could see where they would see what you do as more stereotypically creative i think stereotypically creative was was the the term i was thinking of too right because what you were saying you're just kind of more random in the things that you're doing or more experimental trying different things i think people would look at my creativity as like oh, wow, that's like uh, an aesthetic look that other people hadn't thought of or whatever, you know, a different take on the same thing that people have done a million times. Um, I think people look at me more like that. I think in people who know me in my actual life probably look at it more the way that they look at you where it's like, oh, Chris knows how to play music or he makes jokes and he edits video and, you know, he does all these different things that he's interested in. And they see that as my creativity, whereas the people who watch me on YouTube are just looking at it in terms of furniture making. I think the way you sort of described it, right, is that there's sort of a base skill set and then you can improve upon it. Yeah. I think that's, I think a lot of people would agree with that. I think I might agree with that, but sort of hear me out because this is what I've been thinking about lately. I know that uh, a lot of the people that I know that are considered uh, stereotypically creative Mm -hmm. are often sort of messy people or yep. slightly disorganized people. So is 
the the sort of you know theory that's been rolling around the back of my head is that possibly it might not creativity might not be as much of a thing. It might be uh, sort of a res, uh, a perception that's created by how much risk people take and how quickly they sort of uh, they act on sort of whims. Right. Mm-hmm. It could be a lack of deliberateness or it could be a lack of discipline or it could be a byproduct of something else. Right. So there's rarely, you know, so if I sort of grab a million different materials from Toys R Us and mix them with things from Home Depot, people say, oh, that's really creative. But it also might just be because I couldn't find something or, right. you know, I'm I'm determined to sort of get something done and just grab and make do with whatever, right. which might have more to do with like you know, uh, impatience or just risk taking or not feeling the need to sort of do things the more correct or, or disciplined way. Yeah. Um, I think that you're probably right in that creativity is a byproduct of different things. And it's probably a byproduct of a multitude of things. If I had to choose just one thing though, that I think it's really a byproduct of that is something that you are kind of born or not born with. I would say it's curiosity. Like, I think that that's the thing in my life that's led to the most creativity is just being a curious person and an, I guess an interested person. Just, you know, when you find out about something new, you want to discover how it works and you want to try it out and all those sorts of things. Yeah. I, I think that is that, yeah, that sort of that wonderment and that, mm-hmm. that would lead you to do that. But do you think that you're ever less curious? Like the more, do you feel like curiosity sort of dissipates with other, with overall satisfaction? Meaning that if you're like, everything's going really good, you're like less likely to take that. Um, yeah. I mean, I could see that it would actually, not that you would become less curious, but that the curiosity might kind of start to trans transfer over to other areas. Mm-hmm. If, you know, Obviously, if I'm nowhere near this, but if I became just like this master woodworker where I knew everything about woodworking and I had done everything that there was to do and nothing was a challenge anymore, then yeah, I could see not being curious and being less interested in it at that point and, you know, shifting on to the next thing. But I mean, so far in, it's hard to say because on one hand, I mean, I don't know the actual answer. The truth is, if you just look at like the different hobbies that I've had and the curiosities that I've had, they have kind of evolved and, you know, they've dissipated in some areas and gone into other things. I don't think that's because they became easier or I got good at them. I think it's just, you know, a result of being curious and discovering new things to be curious about. Right. So in, in general, I'm, I'm pretty undisciplined with how I work. Like if I get an idea, I'll sort of make something and I won't put the tools away as I go. Right. So mm-hmm. afterwards, they'll be, it'll look like a or tornado of chaos sort of went through the workshop mm-hmm. and everything's pulled out. <laughs> everything's turned upside down. Uh, paint cans are left open. And I just sort of, you know, grabbed whatever I needed to just get that done. Yeah. Um, but I also know that I don't, but I don't see myself as inherently undisciplined. I see it as sort of a choice, right? Mm-hmm. Like I know that if I said, okay, if, if, if I've, you know, gun to my head tomorrow, okay, you have to build something and you have to put things away as you do it. I, I know I could totally do it. Right. I would go slower. It would be, you know, I, I know that's a possibility. And so what I was sort of getting at was if we know that a lot of people that, that are sort of seen as creative, are, are also sort of seen as sort of messy and disorganized and, and taking risk and, and experimenting sort of rampantly. Right. Could you, if, if you were, you know, someone that doesn't consider themselves that way, could you sort of fake it till you make it, right? Could you adopt those characteristics and those some of those behavioral traits and see if you could sort of reverse engineer to add more creativity to your life? Uh, I guess, I mean, you could definitely try. I don't know that it would work because you might be looking at, you know, kind of like you were saying byproducts of being creative and working backwards. Right. To Symptoms something versus that, causes. Right. So I, I think of anything just through the fact that you'd be doing it wouldn't lead to it, but the fact that you're doing it would just be that you're putting effort into it and the putting effort into it might be what leads you to a result. I think that's one of the misconceptions, I guess, about creativity is that it comes without any effort. You know, people just picture that, oh, you had this idea and like you were just touched by the the world or by God or whatever right. to just have this great idea. When in reality, 
there's work that goes into it. So I always look at it either if it's creativity or feeling motivated to do something, I look at it kind of just like anything else. It's like a job, you know? I've talked about this before, but when I come up with a design, I don't have this epiphany moment. I usually say, okay, I need to come up with something. I sit down, I draw a bunch of things, and in drawing, I have that epiphany moment. You know, I'm not just like sleeping and I wake up with a picture of something in my head. Yeah, like... So I've been doing so much editing lately. I haven't I haven't been adding ideas to my sketchbook. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I started doing these experiments with sort of the kinetic sand and the casting. Because for me, it was sort of like, oh, I haven't put any new ideas in my sketchbook. So it wasn't like, oh, I just hope this creativity strikes. It was like, oh, how do I start manufacturing new right. ideas? Mm-hmm. And when I want to manufacture new ideas, <laughs> the critical part being new, I start taking, uh, mixing things that I know how to do with sort of new variables. So in right. this case, I know how to cast. I've done a lot of casting with concrete. I've done one project casting with the the tin. And so now saying, okay, let's add a new variable into this and start experimenting. Mm-hmm. And it, it was funny because it was like, I, I, I did this because I sort of had it in the back of my head that I haven't, ha- haven't added any, you know, I haven't added to the surplus of ideas that I have sort of written down they'll eventually become projects. But it was never like a moment of panic where I'm waiting for that sort of divine creative lightning bolt to strike. It was simply, oh, that means I need to sort of add risk, add uh, add unknowns, and sort of mix them in in a semi-systematic way until something pops. So when you, when, okay, let's say you do get a comment from somebody where they, they give you that, you know, oh, you're a creative person, you're lucky, I'm not like that. Do you see that as like, discounting the the work that goes into the ideas uh yeah uh but it doesn't that it doesn't bother me for that it just bothers me the part that bothers me is the self-defeating declaration assuming that they can't do it right Right. that that's like i know like i have a healthy appreciation for for what i'm good at and what i'm not good at so i don't really take those as slights but I find it sort of uh, sad when people sort of pigeonhole themselves, right? It's, you know, because I, I I don't think that's true. I also think that it's not uh, this this great thing. I think it's just for me. I tend to see my own creativity as a byproduct of choices, uh, mm-hmm. many of which have negative effects of sort of like messiness, sloppiness, being a little bit wasteful, being a little too absent-minded, or uh, a little too ADHD. I see a lot of the things that I get praised for in product outcomes uh, as also having that, also leading to the uh, sort of detrimental effects in those other areas. So f- for me, it's like, I, I don't think that they're, they're these great things. I just think that they are, they're byproducts of choices. Like I, I shifted some resources over here to get to emphasize these kind of dramatic effects and there's uh there's no such thing as a free lunch so there's sort of a cost and a liability to these things over here the same way you know there's there's so many craftsmen that i really really like uh, that'll devote themselves to one thing whether it's mm-hmm. building violins or making beautiful wooden canoes right. or you know wood turning right those things have an opportunity cost, right? Like that is more of a progression of discipline and compounding skills that mm-hmm. leads to something amazing. Uh, so whereas, you know, my sort of, you know, playing with plastics and Play-Doh one week and then steel welding and that, it's going to lead to a lot of sort of uh, surface discovery, but it, it, it comes at the cost of, you know, really dedicating to one particular line of, of craft and stuff, which is a different type of creative expression, one yeah. done through the accumulation of expertise in a, in a single sort of uh, path. Yeah, I think that that almost comes down to more, not who's more creative than the other person. It's almost just what appeals to you. So to you, you probably would not find pleasure in that. You would probably find it aggravating to do something over and over and just make those marginal little improvements each time to become a perfectionist at something. I think I would probably get that way also. And again, it kind of comes back to curiosity of just like, I can't focus on this anymore. Like I have so many other things that I want to think about and I want to do. There's other people that just find enjoyment in that almost like meditative. I think, I think creating, building, woodworking, all those things can kind of be a meditative experience for a lot of people. I, it's not really that way for me. I think that sometimes it comes off that way in the videos because of 
the music and everything else that's involved with it. But so for you, your creativity, a lot of it happens while you're building. You're a kind of hands-on guy. Mm-hmm. My, my, my creativity pretty much happens in like the drawing phase. It's really in the modeling phase is when I'm probably having, my, my brain's probably working the way that your brain is working while you're building while I'm modeling. Yeah. When I, I actually, oh, go ahead. I always imagine you also, I'm always curious with people that are sort of doing stuff like this uh, in addition to like a full-time job. Uh-huh. As I often think that there's a lot of creativity happening in this sort of backburnering while they're doing all the oh, other yeah. sort of the other things, right? Yes, for sure. Uh, the sort of busy work that your heart's not, you know, you may like it and enjoy it, but just not right, right, like right. totally individualistically not invested in, right? Um, yeah. So I often find that <laughs> uh, when I talk to people like that, that's when those I- ideas start to. Yeah, I mean, sometimes that's the best way to think of something is to stop trying to think about it in a way. Like, you know, go for a walk and just kind of do nothing and, you know, see if something... And and then it's not even like creativity. It's almost like inspiration. It's like, ooh, now I want to go draw something. And then that's where the work starts. It's just like a, a launching point to be happy about working. But man, yeah, when I'm working on work stuff, like I honestly think there's not a point in my waking life that 30 minutes goes by where I'm not thinking about building something or something about making videos, at least for a moment. Like it's always on the back burner. So let's let's wrap this this subject with sort of uh, our own set of hypotheticals. If so, if somebody came to you, another uh-huh. woodworker or maker, and they were, you know, you know, reasonably skilled and they sort of said, you know, uh, I feel like I'm in kind of a creative rut. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like my stuff kind of looks like other people's things. I want it to be more individualistic to me. Uh, I feel I want it to stand out for, for business reasons. And I just feel like I'm not that creative. Yeah. What would be your sort of advice? So I would say, I mean, because I know that you can look this kind of stuff up and you'll see like, oh, you know, 20 ways to become more creative or whatever. All these articles that have been written. Step one, take acid. And- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Step two wait five minutes. No, No, I think that um, all your power tools, (laughs) like all of those things are kind of like BS. And at the same time, not BS. I don't think that any one of those things is like, Oh yeah, that's how you do it. But if you want to, and you're willing to put in the effort to try those things, it's that effort that ultimately leads to it. But to kind of bring it back to the, what the national day of, uh, what is it? Ask a stupid stupid question day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, something I've heard Tim Ferriss talk about, and I've kind of tried it before, and it's actually pretty cool, is he does this brainstorming thing where you basically just come up with ideas, not good ideas, just ideas. So whatever pops in your head, it can be stupid, it can be good, it doesn't matter. You just throw ideas out there. And in doing that, it kind of like takes away some of your, takes the governor off a little bit or what, whatever self-consciousness you have because your ideas can be stupid and you're not going to judge yourself for them. Just throw them out there and just see if there's anything that like springs or, or comes from it. You know, maybe it's a stupid idea initially, but then you say, well, wait a minute, maybe I can dive into this a little bit deeper. I think that is actually a good exercise to do is just come up with stuff, just do stuff and see if that turns into a good idea. May or may not. I agree with that. But I think, I think of it a slightly different way. Um, because I think when you tell people to come up with ideas that, you know, maybe are silly, mm-hmm. I, I would suggest the same, it's the same kind of idea. I would just, I would phrase it differently. I would say, think about the way you typically make decisions about what you do, right? So if you're a furniture maker, you, you might say, um, you know, you, uh, I, I was talking to, uh, uh Jamie, uh, who, who does videos and, and designs for me mm-hmm. and, she was showing me a, a desk that she was working on, and it was really cool. It was be, you know, she's working the design in a three D model, um, and but it was kind of like in between a couple things. It mm-hmm. had some really cool. She's really good at coming up with like kind, kind of clever little functional things. But part of it was sort of like she was trying to do something kind of dramatic uh, aesthetically, but then she was really tr- more interested in these sort of like clever little gadgety kind of add on functions. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it, you know, one was sort of confusing, uh, uh, the other, 
And it's clear that the way she was thinking that she came up with the ideas through the sort of ancillary functions. And that mm-hmm. tends to be the way that she 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 makes things right. So she's not in a creative rut at all. She's 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 cranking out good work, and it's I'm, I'm really excited the way it's coming along. But if someone like her came to me and said, "Oh, I'm in sort of a, a creative rut," I would suggest sort of reversing the sort of process and say, "Okay, this has to be the most basic thing. It can't have any extra gadgets, right? Take away the natural outcome that you normally prioritize." Mm-hmm. And instead, sort of pick one that you normally post-rationalize in and use that as like the main sort of driving point, right? So it'd be sort of looking at how – so if you're a person that's very uh, – that uh, that's, either starts with like the te- uh, a technique or a material or if you're a person yeah. that starts with a functional idea in mind and then just builds it in the most rational way, I would say the way to sort of drive creativity would be to disrupt your own process. So it would be – switch a different priority as being the sort of driving force and sort of undermine yourself because you're never going to lose what you're naturally inclined to sort of think is valuable or important. If you're someone that's really functionally motivated, that's not going to go away in one project, mm-hmm. but you might you know, be able to take a different path long enough and then trust that you'll be able to post-rationalize your strength back into it anyways. You know, I just had kind of an idea. So this could be a stupid idea, but I'll throw it out there anyway uh, while you're talking right now. So you know how you always talk about getting inspiration from the terrible, basically just looking at things that are bad in the world around you and saying, hey, I could do better than that. What if you, and I might try this, were to purposefully design something that you hated. You know, if you're looking for like a different aesthetic, just say, all right, I'm going to draw something that I hate. I do not lean this way at all. This is like against what my natural aesthetic tells me to do. Shag carpeting underpants. There you go. That's what I'm building for next week. (laughs) No, but, and then not necessarily build that thing, but see if it makes you start thinking about it different or take whatever that really ugly thing that you hate is and then try to tweak it back into where you do like things you might end up at a place that's like totally different than you would have gotten to if you tried to just start with, here's what I naturally feel like doing. No, I, I, I 100%. So I th- I'd say the, 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 to summarize, mm-hmm. we're not experts in the human psyche. And so maybe nope. creativity is this thing and maybe it's not, and maybe it's inherent or maybe it can be learned. But I know practically believing that it's inherent and it can't be learned or improved upon serves no one any good. So if you're in that thing, I would say the step one would just be to decide to make the decision that it is something that you can't control and you can dramatically improve on. Um, And I don't think it's something like diet and exercise, you know, to, to lose weight where there is no sort of shortcut. I think that creativity is something where you can, you, you can make decisions uh, be almost self contrarian uh, in a sort of an experimental way and dramatically come up uh, uh, with different ideas than what you're used to sort of generating. Yeah, I think just being willing to want to pursue it and to be willing to put in the effort to try to pursue it, if you can do that, then you're on the right track. Yes. So if any of the listeners feel like they're in a creative rut, uh, go ahead and hit us up in uh, uh, some messages on Instagram or social media and let us know if you are going to try any of these sort of suggestions, whether it's sort of thinking about sort of reverse engineering your normal process and changing a couple things. Uh, let us know if you're considering that and how it goes. Or if anything that you've done that you find works for you, let us know that too. If we hear anything good, maybe we'll try it. Yes. Do we have any, uh, qu- speaking of viewers or listeners, good do we questions? have any questions? We got some. So let's see here. This one comes in from John M. He says, hello, two questions. Part of it's for Mike. So I guess we'll skip Mike, obviously. But he says, question 1A. So just for Ben, I guess. If you could be given one festival tool free of charge, what would you choose? Assume you get the accessories that go along with it. Um, I don't know the festival portfolio that well. Uh-huh. Um, but from what I do know, like the dominoes never, people always talk about the domino, but the dominoes never been that interesting to me. I guess mm-hmm. I never really think of like wood joinery in those ways. I always just yeah. feel like, oh, that's like un- almost unnatural for wood. I'll just use like some other material like pipes uh-huh. or steel or something. The the track saw, I think, is what's always intrigued me, mm-hmm. uh, particularly because it's, it's such a precise tool. 
it's you're not sacrificing anything with a track saw. I mean, I, from what I understand, you can make cuts that are basically as accurate as any table saw, right? Yeah, you say it's that's, just a that's little fair? slower. Yeah, the setup's a little slower, but it's pretty much as accurate. So I'd say the track saw has always been the one that I thought is is interesting because it, you know, for someone that works often not in a shop in sort mm-hmm. of like just an open space. To me, the track saw is the most interesting sort of yoga studio tool, right? It's like the thing that you could put in the back of your truck, you could take anywhere, but you could still make really precise uh, work. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a, at my uh, shop in California, I have a Festool miter saw. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, wow. And uh, it's it's great, but I actually like the Ryobi one better. The nice thing about the Festool one is like how compact the... It does. It fits on a desk really nicely, but oh, like, if, but a space isn't right. Like the the the, the yeah the sliding mechanism. Right. You don't need a really deep bench to put it mm-hmm. on. Um, but it feels like the. I feel like I get cuts that are just as good with a good blade on my Ryobi one, which is like you know a quarter of the price. So I'd say the the sanding system is also pretty impressive. That's mm-hmm. married with the du- dust collection. Um, yeah. But I would say if there's one tool that I think is is really intriguing, it would be the track saw. Yep. So, and then question one B is directed towards me. It says if you could have one festival tool, what would you choose to keep? So I I guess basically I have to give up the rest of my stuff. Um, and then if I could see receive another one free of charge, what would I pick? So I think actually just to be have variety in here, I'll say that I would keep the domino because it's probably the most unique of the tools. You know, track saw is awesome, but mm-hmm. there's plenty of other companies that make a track saw. You could really take any circular saw and pretty much turn it into a track saw. I mean, if I had to predict, I would think that in five years from now, pretty much every company out there is going to have a track saw because, yeah. I mean, it's just probably not that much extra development to get to the point and they could sell it for more money. So I'm sure it's a good business opportunity for everybody. So I I would choose the domino for that reason. If I could have one more tool, I don't know that I would use it that much, but the router's pretty cool. It's like, I don't know, is it, it might be the only router that's out there that actually has good dust collection built into it. I know that's one of the things I used to always, whenever I was using my router, I would just go outside on the driveway because that thing threw up so much dust and I was just like, I don't want to clean the whole garage after I do this. So I was just like, go out there and do it. Now, luckily at least I can collect dust when I'm using it within the table router, but for a freehand router, that thing's pretty unique. So I guess I'd get that. I think that would be the most different than anything else I have. And now question two that John M asks, he asks, Ben, there are rumors that your shopping spree was the sole demise of Toys R Us. Any remorse? <laughs> So it's funny. A lot of people have been hitting me up <laughs> yeah. on about because uh, I'm doing a project with Toys R Us, and I think there was an announcement that either they were considering or they did file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Yeah. I think what people don't understand often about business is that a lot of companies go bankrupt, but it doesn't mean that they're ceasing they're operations. Right. It has normally more to do with uh, shifting sort of equity and sort of ownership and those kind of things, right? So from what I understand, it was, uh, it's about sort of restructuring some of their corporate debt, Mm -hmm. but nope, we're still, we're still active and our shopping spree, I'm pretty sure didn't, uh, didn't have, (laughs) that was the the straw that broke the camel's back. (laughs) Right. But what, what I, I do think the the interesting sort of takeaway is, you know, we're, we're, we're obviously, seeing the sort of uh, the later stages of the of what's often called the retail apocalypse mm-hmm. you know more and more things are sort of moving online and you know retail is getting reconfigured i think people often think that these things they use terms like dying or apocalypse mm-hmm. when i think evolution is the more accurate way and i think it makes a big difference because if you sort of say apocalypse it's sort of or the death of retail it sort right. of implies like people won't go to stores anymore, which is not true. There's a reason why Amazon bought Whole Foods because Whole Foods. stores have value. Physical places mm-hmm. still have value, uh, but the, you just can't do them the same way, right? right? Photos, I think, are a really interesting thing. You know, uh, uh, people still take a lot of photos. Most of the posts on Instagram, even though almost everybody has video options on their on their phone, there's still a place for still imagery, right? There's still mm-hmm. a different option. So I think there's a lot of opportunities uh, in, when you think of things as evolution 
I think it can be very self-defeating when you think of things. Oh, this is dying. This is done. No, there's there's a lot of really interesting ways to do things. So I'm excited about my sort of participation with them because I know that it's when companies come to me that are sort of outside of what I normally do, mm-hmm. it's normally because they need to come up with something sort of uh, unusual, right? Or something right. counterintuitive. I, I like the collaborations with things that aren't obvious. I love Rockler. Rockler is like an awesome brand to work with. I've had a great time working with them. But I feel like a lot of the projects I'm going to do with them would are pretty straightforward. Yeah, on the nose. Right. Uh, whereas like, you know, when I work with a brand that isn't as directly obvious, like it's going to be more of an adventure. But again, I also feel those are the ones I'm going to take more a little bit more risk with uh, because I can't just do the obvious thing because... There's mm-hmm. not a total 100% genre fit of audience to their products as they're typically used. No, I, I think it's it's it's, uh, it's an exciting challenge. And no, I didn't bankrupt them. But the new idea that I sort of have with it is I've been interviewing a lot of creatives and friends that I have uh, that sort of do something design related. And I've been asking them about how what was their sort of most impactful toys and how mm-hmm. do you, how does it sort of impact their creativity or their aesthetic or something that they do today? And I've been really surprised at how many people can just like vividly describe toys and as like part of their their creative formation of how they think aesthetically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I can actually. When, just when you said that, I started thinking about it myself. I was thinking, well, most people. Like the most obvious answer is probably going to be something like Lego. But I was thinking back even further, and I don't even know the name of what this toy was. I was probably like, I don't know, two and a half or three years old. My mom was like a volunteer librarian for my older brother when he was in elementary. And so she would take me to the library with her. And they had this toy where it was just these like patterns that you would build with these different shapes. It was almost like tiling in a way you were basically like building like odd shaped tiling pieces i have no idea what that toy was if anybody knows mm-hmm. what that is send me a link because i'll get it for my kid but yeah that is like that just like jumped back into my head when you started saying that right like i i think you know uh transformers had a big impact on my aesthetic i think that's they they were such a coveted thing and something i saw so desirable and interesting mm-hmm. that i think it, they forever impressioned me towards these really triangulated faceted sort of geometric uh uh, you know geometries that sort of still resonate in my work today like i don't think like the plywood table that i made i don't think i would have made that if i never played with transformers Mm -hmm. right like i think remember mask yeah yeah (laughs) um so no i I, it's been like a fun a fun thing it's and because there aren't there aren't obvious answers of how i do a project with uh, Toys R Us, it's making me ask a lot of tangential questions, which is leading to some interesting discoveries, which hopefully will lead to more creative ideas. You know, actually, it's funny. So to back up a little bit about what you were saying when you were talking about um, like the whole apocalypse thing, uh, uh, what did you call it? Shop? No, store apocalypse. Retail apocalypse. Excuse me. It's funny that you brought up pictures because I've been doing the HP video. And so I haven't had a printer at my house for the longest time. I've just not had a need for one. And so they sent me a printer and I've been using it. And one of the cool things about this printer is that I have not even hooked my computer up to it yet. Everything's wireless. I print, you can, you know, it's really easy to edit all your photos through their photo app and print them up and get them looking exactly how you want. And it's almost like things go it so the ideas that i the idea that i just had is of a temporary apocalypse and that's where there's this seismic shift and it destroys the need or the desire for something temporarily but then those things come back and make themselves convenient in your life again so for the longest time people have not been really printing their pictures up for the most part we take more pictures than ever but we don't really print them i feel like Now, and obviously being combined with the project that I just did, it gives us a space to put those pictures. But I feel like now we'll probably print pictures up quite often because it's super easy and super convenient. You have all the pictures on your phone. You click a button, you print it out. You have a place to put them on your wall that's ready to go. It's all about making it easy for you. You can see the same thing in music. So, you know, Napster, all the different free download sites came out and ruined 
the music industry, at least selling music in a sense. Um, you know, they still make money off touring or whatever. But, and I downloaded illegal music for the longest time. I don't anymore because things like Spotify came along and made it more convenient to pay $10 a month than it is to have to search for files and worry about finding the right one and then, you know, transferring files and all those different things that you had to do when you downloaded music. So it's almost like there's a, a temporary apocalypse and then they make it more convenient for you again. And then ultimately that convenience wins out. Yeah. It's, it's funny when you described the sort of downloading music thing that my immediately I sort of was going to a different way. I was thinking, well, well maybe that's when like sort of electronic music and sort of DJing sort of also mm. got a boost because people had, they could suddenly access more samples of things to sort of mix. Right? Yeah. I wonder if that's. Cause I always <laughs> wonder like, so if you were, if you were somebody that like uh, was making sort of electronic music by sort of collaging together different musical pieces, if you had to go and buy those, you're probably going to stick to more genres you're used to. Whereas if everything's just free as a smorgasbord, you're going to grab and experiment a little bit more wildly, right? I feel like there's like a cost per, or I feel like increased access could increase experimentation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as a way to sort of, you know, kickstart creativity and things like that, you could increase your access to one thing and diminish your access to another thing, right? So if you find that all your projects look the same, it might be a product of tools and material. It might be because you're always using plywood and you're always starting with ripping things down on the table saw. Right. Whereas your first move maybe could be with an angle grinder and something else. So no, that's a, yeah, I think I think that's a, a good way to bring it all full circle. Any yeah, hypotheticals? Sure. Um. I think that, didn't you have one that somebody oh, wrote in? <laughs> I do have one. I have one from our friend, uh, Wobi, uh, Wobi Design on Instagram, mm-hmm. uh, who was uh, one of my uh, weekly obsessions. The and skateboard he, guy, right? Yep, skateboard guy. Yep. He just built a really awesome de- desk. Uh, so check out uh, Wobi Design. And uh, it's a, he says, I have a good hypothetical question for you guys. If you were a dog, what breed would you be? And I'm hoping you get real technical on this. For example, <laughs> Mike would be an American bulldog, matching the characteristics of his style and physical build as well. <laughs> I don't, know, I don't like think a- of Mike is like having like a squishy face or being like, he's kind of tall. And he's lost all that weight recently. So now he's like a Doberman or something. Yeah. Well, for me, I would be a mutt because um, <laughs> <laughs> I am of, of mixed ethnicities and yeah and i also think that i've never really uh, specifically identified as any sort of one thing and i feel like there's sort of like a scrappy resilience yeah so i figured like some sort of like mutt street dog that uh, <laughs> yeah kind of look like a bunch of things but like nothing in particular i don't know that i have that good of an answer for this i actually i don't know that much about dogs see if i got my my brother and sister-in-law out here, they could, they could tell you what kind of dog I should be. But I'll say I'll be, if I'm going to be a full breed something, I'll be like a golden retriever, like a lab or something like that. I feel like those are like good, hardy dogs. I want to be nice and hardy with a shiny coat. Too much shedding. Get off the furniture. <laughs> well, I don't have carpet. Well, I got carpet in one room. So let's uh, should we wrap this thing up. What are you currently obsessed with? I'm obsessed with, I've talked about this before, but it's, I've ordered it and it's coming in the mail supposedly tomorrow, the Edelkrone slider. I finally broke down and bought it. So that's the automated sliding thing that costs too much money. I'm not the kind of guy who likes to treat myself, but I could justify that like, oh, well, you know, I can use it for the YouTube stuff. So it'll make my videos better. That's always the way that I can justify spending. It's motorized. Yeah. Well, the one, so the one I'm getting it, it's called the slider one. So it's like a little tiny one. It's only got probably like six inches of travel. And so you can buy it. And then you buy, it's called like the module, motion module, I think. So you like connect it to it and then that's what makes it motorized. How do you, how do you control it? Phone. It's just got an app for your phone. Okay. So, so you can set it like uh, move, move yeah. this distance over an hour or move this distance over 10 seconds. Exactly. Yeah. So it, yeah, I don't know what the fastest speed is, but you know, it'd be like a fairly fast span or like you could do time-lapse stuff and have it take like a day to move those six inches if you wanted to. And you can do also do like loop it so that it'll just keep doing the same path over and over and you don't have to physically go reset anything. So like if you did want to do it while you're actually like, you know, working on the table saw or something, I don't know if I'll do that. Um, maybe I'll just research to make sure that the dust isn't going to ruin it, but um, it probably will be fine. They, they seem like they're like pretty hardy 
equipment. So yeah, that's what I'm obsessed with it with really excited to get it and actually start playing around with it. And it's been a long road and I probably should have just bought it earlier. I kept trying, I think the one that I got for the actual slider and the mod and the motion module kit is like 500 bucks somewhere around there. You're so rich cash money. I I could make, I can make good videos if I had all your stuff. (laughs) Um, well, I'll, I'll keep mine to equipment too. I just got the the Sony A7 full frame camera. Oh yeah, that's my full, first full frame camera, and it's awesome because uh, it makes it a lot easier to shoot interior spaces, particularly ones where you don't have a lot of room. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just comparing it versus. I also have like the so I have two Sony mirrorless cameras now. I have like the the A6000 and the A7. And, and you had just gotten the A6000 as well, yeah. right? And it's crazy, like, you know, how close you can get to something to take the same photo with one versus the other. Oh, you um, mean and still have it in yeah. frame? Yeah, just like how wider, yeah. how how much more you capture within the sensor. Yeah. So I still haven't really set them up for, for video stuff yet, and I'm still just using them as, as stills. Uh, always still have a little trouble keeping the focus right with, uh, with video with those mm-hmm. since the lenses aren't sort of like automatic. Uh, focusing and I flail around a lot mm-hmm. um, but yeah so full frame camera that's been really cool and uh, gonna go experiment a little bit with this as soon as I can get back to building nice so one more announcement the before we wrap up the episode and that is that the weekend show will be on hiatus temporarily Hopefully we'll bring it back at some point but I don't know how long it's gonna be uh, we all just kind of have to talk about things. Obviously, we're going to keep doing the Thursday episode. That's the the meat of our operation. Um, yeah, I think we need to just figure some things out. And, you know, we have we enjoy doing it, but it's just kind of becoming a lot lately. So it'll be on temporary hiatus to hopefully keep the Thursday episodes stronger. Yeah, that's pretty much the depth of that announcement. So nothing more to read into it. If you have questions about it, I don't know that there'll be an answer. You can ask them if you want, but... That's that. We'll be back at some point. We're just kind of busy right now. That's a good way to put it. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And also, uh, leave us a nice one of those nice uh, five or four stars. You know, splurge five. a little. Give us five, five stars. And uh, <gasps> leave a review. And also, be sure to follow us on Instagram. And Reddit. Get in that separate. We're up to like, I I think we're at like 250 or so people. So still getting better. I'm trying, I'm trying to check it a couple times a week, at least answer the questions that are there, but the more people we can get there, the better community it's going to be. So make sure you do that too. And then I guess, uh, tell your dog walkers. If you have a dog walker, tell them to go Mm. listen to the show and leave a review. Awesome. That's it. I'll see you not on Saturday. We'll see you next Thursday. Bye Mike.